BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Let's start with the big health care vote today because it is they need 216 votes to get this um, piece of garbage passed out of the House. Uh, and uh, I thought the headline in the um, on CNN says it all this morning. Here's the headline, quote, Trump is desperate for a win and he's betting on health care. He is desperate for a win. In fact, uh, Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus, I didn't know this, but I've been telling you that Donald Trump doesn't care what's in the legislation. He just wants a win. He wants to be able to check this off so he can brag about it and lie about it. And Mark Meadows yesterday said, in fact, Donald Trump does have a an actual physical scoreboard at in his office at the White House. Oh, jeez. He's got a board in the White House that talks about every single one of his campaign promises, and he's going down and checking those off. And it's incumbent upon us to work in a real uh, good-faith manner to make sure that he gets this one checked off. Uh-uh, no. It's our job to work in a good-faith manner to make sure that he doesn't fulfill any one of those extreme and dangerous campaign promises. But that's what it's all about for Donald Trump. Desperate for a win. He wants to check this one off. Paul Ryan gave him uh, a bill that Donald Trump should never have endorsed because it it is the exact opposite of everything Donald Trump promised the American people about health care. But Donald Trump, again, desperate for a win, said, "Okay, Paul, you got the votes. I'll go along with you. Let's do it. Well, it turns out Paul Ryan has not been able to deliver the votes. They were up until midnight or beyond last night trying to get the votes again. They are still not there. So here's the situation today. They need 216 votes. By last count, there are, first of all, not one single Democrat will vote for the plan, and they should not. Uh, That They can only lose, by then, look at the Republicans, they can only lose 21. And as of last night, when all the meetings stopped, there were 23, 23 Republicans who said no, and four were leaning against it. That's a total of 27. That bill is dead if it stays that way. Of course, they're going to be working frantically all through the day today to make it happen. Democrats had a little rally on the east steps of the Capitol yesterday. It was Chuck Schumer, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, and a surprise guest, Governor Jerry Brown from California. Mr. Trump, come down from Trump Tower, walk among the people, and see the damage that this latest exercise in raw political power will wreck on the women, the men, and the children of this country. Yes, good for you, Jerry Brown, but it's the, if the bill goes down, it's going to be because Republicans do the right thing. <laughs> well, you know, Republicans are, are opposed to it, as we've uh, discussed several times this week. Some think it doesn't go far enough, and some think it goes too far. Among those who thinks it goes t- 
doesn't go far enough, and they ought to just scrap this and have a total, total repeal of everything that's in Obamacare. Or Rand Paul from uh, Kentucky yesterday saying, uh-uh, got to start from scratch. We got the wrong bill to start with. We got Obamacare light, and conservatives just don't like it, so we're going to have to start over. And the aforementioned Mark Meadows, very powerful guy now from Kentucky, head of the Freedom Caucus, uh, a big Trump supporter during the primary, but still hasn't come over on the bill. And he said the same thing last night about starting over. The opposition is still strong. Uh, they don't have the votes to pass this tomorrow. We believe that they need to start over and do a bill that actually reduces premiums. And the real conundrum for the Republicans, of course, is as Mark Meadows and members of the Freedom Caucus uh, uh, demand more and more changes in order to get those extreme conservative votes, they are turning. They will turn off more moderates and also make it more difficult than ever to get this bill passed uh, in in the Senate. So uh, they're playing one against the other here, and it doesn't look good. They may get something through the House. It doesn't look good. Meanwhile. The, report, the question at the briefing yesterday, several of us asked, okay, well, uh, if this goes down, what's your plan B? Sean Spicer says there's not one. There's plan A and plan A. We're going to get this done. <laughs> Kept saying over and over again, we're going to get this done, get this done, no plan B, boom. This is, this is what's really scary about this uh, for Republicans or for somebody who, anybody who wants a win <clears throat> is you always have a backup plan, right? You always have a backup plan. Yeah. I understand you don't telegraph your backup plan. Right. But, but all the reporting that's been done on this is... Keep it in your is, back pocket. Exactly. But, but all you the, got one. Oh, yeah. All the reporting that's been done on this says <laughs> that the White House has no backup plan. And the House, the authors of this bill, they have no backup plan. So they are just hurtling towards each other, and it's just going to explode. Yep, indeed. And what's going to happen? Nothing. They don't have anything. I mean, this, this, if this does, if this, first of all, we hell, it took them, it took them seven years to get this. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but you know the, what? What a difference! By the way, looking back, that Obamacare took two years to craft. They took time. They had hearings after hearing after hearing. They got House members working with Republicans and Democrats. Republicans ended up not doing anything, but they tried to get some Republicans. But the Democrats took two years to line up the organizations, to craft the bill, to amend the bill in the House and in the Senate. And they two years, and they finally got to, to got it to uh, President Obama's desk. This one, Paul Ryan, uh, for seven years they had no plan. So once they get here in January, they quickly threw together this piece of crap. They kept it, remember, under lock and key. They wouldn't even let Republicans read it. And then they forced it through three committees. This was just 10 days ago. And now they're forcing a vote on the floor of the House. No wonder they're in trouble. Yeah. As Donald Trump learned, this is a complicated mess, a complicated issue. Who, who could have known? And you can't just say, say, you know, cherry pick it here and there. Oh, I like this. I like that. I like that. Boom. Here's our plan. No, doesn't hold up. And they're finding that out. They may still get it through the House, but... There's another, uh, it's dead on arrival in the Senate. And there's another complication today, which is, uh, actually announced last night, the mighty Koch brothers. Uh, <clears throat> I wrote a whole book about them called The Obama Hate Machine. The mighty Koch brothers have said that their whole panoply of political organizations, how about that? Panoply of political packs. Woo, I love that alliteration. The well Koch done. brothers. They have said in 2018, 
They're going to have millions and millions and millions of dollars that they're going to spend in, they only re- support Republican candidates, for Congress, Republican congressional candidates, but they announced that anybody who votes for this bill will not get any money from the Koch brothers. So if you vote, if, the, if, if they're just going right up against Paul Ryan, just taking him on and up against Donald Trump, if you vote for this bill, you will not get any money in your primary from the Koch brothers. And included in that threat, you may get a primary opponent supported by the Koch brothers. Uh, that's going to put a lot more pressure on today. And I must say, <coughs> it is the first time I've ever agreed with anything the Koch brothers have done. Go for it. But, you know, we can't leave it up to the Koch brothers. One final pitch. We made this yesterday as well. This is the day to shut down the congressional switchboard. This is the day to flood that building with calls. And the number is an easy number, 202-224-3121. You call that number, you can speak to any one of the 433 left members of Congress or any one of the 100 senators, speak to their office, that is, and leave your message, and the message is really, those phone calls really, really, really do count. So now's the time to do it. Flood that switchboard. I, I want to see the story tomorrow that the congressional switchboard actually broke down because there were so many calls and so many calls in opposition to this bill. Let's kill this bill while we still have a chance. Uh, Even for those of us who follow the uh, news of the Intelligence Committee and this invest the FBI investigation so carefully, yesterday was a a surprising day and a day that was hard to keep up with. Jessica Schulberg at Huffington Post has been all over the story. She joins us in our studio this morning. Hi, Jessica. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. So, Devin Nunez, um, what a difference from the bipartisan the show of bipartisan support we saw on Monday between Nunez and. Uh, uh, Adam Schiff on Monday, uh, and even the pledge of uh, James Comey, and kind of appearing publicly in front of the committee, and then Nunez gone off on his own yesterday. So what does he? What what did he have, and where did he get it? I mean, first, I would argue that the bipartisanship was pretty fragile, even as of Monday. Um, I would. Nunez and the Republicans yeah. focused most of this five-hour-long hearing on leaks, leaks of classified yeah. information to reporters. Right. Um, not Nunez, but another member, um, I believe it was actually Trey Gowdy of the Benghazi Committee yeah. Spectacle, was saying that perhaps reporters should be prosecuted for publishing classified information. Um, so there, there's already some signs that the bipartisan cooperation on this committee were strained. They're clearly but trying to change the subject and get it onto. Yesterday yeah. was unprecedented. I mean, um, Nunez called a press conference uh, sort of out of the blue yesterday at 1 p.m., it was notable to everybody right away that Adam Schiff, his Democratic counterpart on the committee, uh, was not joining him. Um, and right out of the gate, he says, you know, I've got these intelligence reports. They're, they show that members of the Trump team um, are the subjects of surveillance reports. Their names are mentioned in them. Their names were unmasked, which is the way the word he used to refer to when the intelligence officials um, pick up the name of an American citizen when doing surveillance on another target. 
Um, normally, they would kind of hide the name. If the American person isn't the subject, they wouldn't actually put their I, name in the report. I read that the names were masked, but he was able to read so, through the mask. So getting there, something. he tells oh, okay. reporters they're unmasked. So this is right. what he says. Uh, the, the day all unfolds and shakes out. And as you, as you mentioned, um, later in the day, Adam Schiff, uh, who hasn't seen these reports because it turns out that Nunes doesn't have them in his possession, um, <laughs> he, he says he got them from a source. He won't say who. Um, he says they're all the result of legitimate surveillance, legal surveillance under the FISA court, which is what you use to spy on people mm -hmm. that you suspect of being foreign agents. Um, he says that foreign agent is not Russia, but he won't say which country it is. Um, and as you said, Adam Schiff later says that Nunes says the names weren't unmasked, but kind of in the context, he could tell who the reports yeah. were referring to. I mean, it's it's all over the place. Right. But And so he holds a news conference. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how Adam Schiff finds out about it, and members of his committee find out mm -hmm. about it. He holds a news conference. Reporters are stunned. They have no idea what to make of it. And he says, you know, right now, I'm ending this press conference. I got to go vote. Right after I vote, I'm heading to the White House where I'm going to brief Donald Trump on these findings. Right. Um, he, which is crazy. I mean, this is unprecedented that you receive classified information from some unnamed source that... You would then go tell a president who's under investigation by the FBI because there's suspicion that him or his associates <laughs> yeah. have nope. uh, inappropriate ties to a foreign agent. And then you go tell him, I've received information that, you know, you're you're being picked up in these surveillance reports because of ties to foreign agents. No, it, I it's mean, truly it, unprecedented. It, it, it really is. It's just unbelievable. And so one would think perhaps that he would inform Adam Schiff. Uh, one would also think that maybe he would call James Comey. So he said in the press conference that he he didn't make clear the timing, but he said he'd already spoke with the head of the CIA and the NSA um, and that he was working on getting in touch with Comey. So the backstory to this is last week when Schiff and Nunes gave a press conference, they handed out this letter to reporters that they were sending, um, I believe, to, to all three agencies basically saying, tell us how you unmask names. Tell mm -hmm. us which which American citizens' names are appearing in these intelligence reports. Um, I think the implication is that if their names are unmasked, it's more likely that they'll subsequently be leaked to the public. Because unmasking doesn't mean their names are out there. It's still yeah, right. in a secret report. Um, Friday, tomorrow is the deadline for them to receive back an answer on policies as to how these names are unmasked. So he kept saying whenever he was being pushed for more specific information by reporters yesterday, he would say, oh, well, you know, we don't have the full picture. We'll have to wait until Friday to get an answer. And everyone's sitting there. I mean, reporters aren't going to ever say, don't tell me things like we want to know. But it was yeah. like just so bizarre to hear him say that he didn't actually completely know and understand what he was talking about. But he's still telling reporters and the president all about it. Now, so back to this meeting at the White House, mm -hmm. I was at the briefing yesterday. I mean, and Spicer kept making the point because we were pressing him. For what Nunez, for on two points. Number one, what Nunez was going to tell them. And they kept saying, you know, shoot, we don't know. I mean, he called and said, I got this and I want to come down and brief the president. So it was like they were pretending, I don't know, that this was like news to them. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't say anything until he got there and they found out what he had. Right. Number one. And number two, the question was raised, wasn't this a, just a a blatant conflict of interest, as you point out, it's Donald Trump and the people around him, particularly, maybe also Donald Trump, mm -hmm. who are under investigation. Comey told us that mm -hmm. under investigation by the FBI. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, uh, it would be like if there was some courtroom case, it seems to me, and 
and the defense attorney was tipping off the prosecution on kind of what they had or something. I mean, I so so on the first point, I mean, we obviously have no way at this point to know whether or not Spicer was telling the truth, but it does just kind of reek of collusion that you know Trump is coming under fire for these insane tweets about Obama tapped my wires you know and Nunes did say that there's no evidence that that literally happened but tried to sort of justify the broader implication which is that Trump and his um, surrogates are the victim of this Obama era deep state right these claims certainly would validate would certainly appear to be an attempt to validate that um, on the second point of Nunes compromising his own ability to head this House Intelligence Committee investigation, his claim is that because these reports don't discuss Russia, they're unrelated to the investigation. Um, a, we don't have any proof we, that that's right. true. B, even so, it's Turkey. It's another country. I mean, the issue here is whether or not Trump and or his surrogates are colluding with agents of a foreign power in a way to undermine the American democratic system. And right. I think um, if another country other than Russia was implicated in this investigation, it wouldn't it wouldn't be separate. It would be part of the investigation. So um, let's start uh, f- f- first just to, to Nunes did go out of his way to say the when people asked about the wiretap again yesterday, he said didn't, didn't happen. happen, didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But of course, Donald Trump takes what Nunes told him as vindication. vindication. Here is Don Trump at the meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus. A reporter gets a question in. Do you feel vindicated by what Nunes told you? I, I somewhat do. I must tell you, I somewhat do. I very much appreciated the fact that uh, uh, they found what they found, but I somewhat do. But again, I mean, that had nothing to do with the charge that... It doesn't, but it's this kind of subtle, like, wink-nod thing. Nunes gets to go out there and say that this crazy tweet, which is clearly crazy, which has been disavowed by intelligence community, by the DOJ, by Republicans in Congress, he gets to say this didn't happen because he needs to be able to say that. But he also gets to say, you know... It's, it's Trump's claim. I put wiretapping in quotes, so I didn't mean wiretapping. Yeah, yeah, I meant spying. Yeah. And this is Nunez's way of saying, yes, you know what he meant to say was broader surveillance. And here, look, I have proof that this happened. Yeah, this, all this effort, too. So um, what does it say about um, th- what trust can we have in Devin Nunez? conducting this investigation. I mean, and I must say, I asked uh, Adam Schiff this question, uh, ran into him socially a couple of weeks ago, uh, and, uh, and and as Schiff said, you know, that we're, we'll see, mm-hmm. basically. Which because, has been his position from the outset. Yeah, but because by that time, we already knew that the White House had called Adam Schiff to mm-hmm. say, help us shoot down these it's stories. It's called Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes, mm-hmm. right, I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, and and so Senator Adam, Burr, the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is doing its own investigation. Uh, exactly. Right. But even John McCain yesterday, Jamie, we have that clip, John McCain. Now, he's talking about the back of the fact that these two, Schiff and Nunez, are uh, at loggerheads, if you will, mm-hmm. particularly after yesterday. But, you know, McCain says this proves one thing. Here he is. The reason why... I'm calling for this select committee or a a special committee is I think that this back and forth and what the American people have found out so far that no longer does the Congress have credibility to handle this alone. And I don't say that lightly. Yeah, he was there uh, with uh, Greta Van Susteren last night on MSNBC. But I think that's true of the House and the Senate, isn't it? 
Right. I would agree. And I would say that the Senate Dem- or the Democrats at large and a handful of Republicans, including John McCain and Lindsey Graham, have been calling for this kind of special yeah. independent select committee uh, for months now. They got shot down by leadership, um, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, who kind of delegated the investigations to the Intelligence Committee. It's sort of um, narrow in scope, less resources, less staffing, less time, um, inherently more political because it's not this independent investigation that's headed by other Mm -hmm. people. Um, And so Democrats were sort of left with, this is our only option, we're going to pursue it. If it looks comes to appear that it's a complete farce, then we can say as much and we can call even louder for an independent commission, uh, which appears to be what Schiff is doing. He said yesterday yeah. that you know the Democrats did stay on the Benghazi committee even when it was sort of a farce and that he, he was sort of suggesting that they wouldn't necessarily have to leave the House committee's investigation. Um, I have a hard time believing he would put its name on the findings if they are so tainted. Right. Um, but he was saying yesterday, you know, if we had a select committee, you wouldn't see the chair of that committee running to the White House as soon as he gets new information that no, implicates no. could implicate now, the president. Uh, I want to clarify one thing because I've heard that, uh, uh, two different versions of this. When when John McCain or Adam Schiff calls for a select committee, you're still talking about members of Congress, correct? That yes, I think be... in the select committee, you could also have it be chaired by an outsider. And then you could also, separate from the select committee, so the select committee, yes, would be all members of Congress. Some members are also calling for DOJ to appoint a completely independent, independent commission. That's what I was, the, mm-hmm. the distinction I was trying mm-hmm. to get at. But uh, I guess the select committee would be like the Watergate committee, right? Mm-hmm. Sam or Irvin. like the Benghazi committee, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but in I think, name, I think in name only, it I was think, a select committee. But I think that's yeah. the point is even if you have it be a select committee, that basically means that different committees can pool resources. So you have intel, foreign affairs, right. finance, all these people. House with and Senate, right? House and Senate, all these different levels of expertise. Can and they have to get up. somebody who had total, you know, impeccable credentials. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. To lead it. But either to, way, it's not apolitical. Yeah, right. Um, so, like the 9/11 Commission would be, that would be right. completely separate from. Uh, Adam Schiff also said something yesterday. He appeared later uh, on uh, the Meet the Press Daily with uh, with Chuck Todd because he had said, um, I think Monday talked about there's so, there's so much circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. that we really have to the FBI has to pursue this and that circumstantial evidence is still pretty serious, you know, uh, and there have been uh, convictions based on just simply circumstantial evidence. But yesterday with Chuck Todd, he went a step further. Here's a, here's that little exchange. All you have right now is a circumstantial case. Uh, actually, no, Chuck. Uh, I, I can tell you that the case is more than that, uh, and I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence now. So, um, again, I think... So you have Clapper, seen direct evidence of collusion? Uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but I will say that there is evidence that is not circumstantial uh, and uh, and is very much worthy of investigations. So, I mean, if that's true, that really steps it up, right? And he's been hinting at that for, for some time now. I mean, that was the most direct that he said it. But he and a couple other members, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, uh, keep saying, you know, every time they get out of these briefings with Comey or with someone from the intelligence community, they look kind of taken aback. Their their faces are white. They they're angry. They they can't talk yeah. to reporters. Right. So I mean, I've I've seen somebody I forget who wrote the story saying 
There's nothing. There, there's probably nothing but smoke. But the smoke itself is a problem. But mm-hmm. he's saying no. There's there could be some fire there, real, not just smoke. Uh, and in which case, we're talking potentially serious charges against some people. Yes, and as you mentioned earlier before we got online, um, CNN reported last night quoting um, intelligence officials um, saying that they have seen, this is a very heavily couched lead, I don't know if you have it in front of you. I do, I do, I printed (laughs) it out actually, yes. Um, So correct me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but the lead basically says that intelligence community officials have seen evidence that may indicate possible collusion between uh, Trump surrogates and Moscow, um, particularly in terms of the timing of when to release the WikiLeaks uh, emails that were so damaging to Hillary, Cl- Hillary Clinton's campaign. Yeah, just uh, reading a couple of lines from the CNN story, and uh, this this just broke last night. Uh, the F- so this is on top of everything we're talking about uh, of, of, about with uh, Devin Nunez. <laughs> um, Seriously. Quote from CNN, the FBI has information that indicates associates of President Donald Trump communicated with suspected Russian operatives to possibly coordinate the release of information damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign, right? Um, that is information that the uh, uh, that the FBI is now reviewing, which includes, according to CNN, human intelligence, travel, business, and phone records, and accounts of in-person meetings, according to those same U.S. officials. Uh, and what it says, again, concluding with CNN, that people connected to the campaign suggests, quote, people connected to the campaign were in contact and it appeared that they were giving the thumbs up to release information when it was ready. Mm-hmm. So I will say the word so, appear and the word possible are doing yeah. a lot of work in those sentences. I mean, yeah, that word is are. very deliberate. And as a reporter, right. I, you don't put that in there if you don't need to because it dramatically weakens your claims. Um, we've known for a while, I think the New York Times was the one to really break just the extent of the communication um, between Trump campaign officials and Russian intelligence members, CNN reported shortly after uh, that the communication was almost constant. But in both of those stories, uh, reporters were quick to say that the intelligence community hadn't actually assessed whether those communications indicated collusion. Um, And this seems to be going a step further and saying, yes, we have evidence beyond communications. We have bank records, accounts of meetings that do suggest that collusion occurred, but it's, it's still a heavily couched report. What are the consequences if the FBI concludes that people around Donald Trump were colluding with Russia to influence the outcome of the election? That's a great question. I keep asking that myself because it's not something we've, there's no precedent for it, it I would means, have to think. But doesn't it mean that it was not a legitimate election? I would say so. Whoa. <laughs> and where's that lead? Uh, you would have to think perhaps at least uh, impeachment proceedings, whether or not those would be successful. It's harder to say. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by 
telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, forget health care. Forget uh, the Russian connection. Let's talk Supreme Court. Elizabeth Wider here with us from the Constitutional Accountability Center. There's a, I saw a little story this morning somewhere when I was prepping for the show that um, some Democrats are talking about making a deal on Gorsuch with Mitch McConnell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's I mean, going on? Look, I think that the 60 vote threshold is um, the right idea. It's what what, what we've had in the past. Um, it suggests that a judge is someone who can attract bipartisan support um, through his merit or her merit mm-hmm. and his or her record. Um, and therefore, that's why you can get 60 votes to get on the Supreme Court. We're talking about the Supreme yeah. Court. That's important. Right. Um, yeah. Every seat is important. So this whole idea that you make a deal so you can do something in the next seat, you so, know. So the deal would be, as yeah. I understand it, all right, you need eight of us. We'll give you eight votes to get Gorsuch on, uh, on the provision that you do not change the 60-vote threshold. So the idea we could stop you on the next one. Right. So right. presumably, so right now this current nominee is replacing Justice Scalia, who is obviously in the conservative majority of the Roberts court. The concern is if there is someone um, from the more liberal wing of the Supreme Court, whether it's Justice Kennedy, Justice Breyer, Justice Ginsburg, retiring, and then the replacement, if Trump replaces um, that justice, that will really make a huge impact on the court. And so some people are legitimately concerned about that future scenario. But I would say that every seat is important. Um, Also, I, you know, I'm a Supreme Court lawyer, not a political strategist, but you know, Mitch McConnell is given what he did to Justice Judge Garland, who should have been Justice Garland. You know, I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I'd be willing to make a deal with Mitch McConnell. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've heard that, too. But I, I think that, you know, this is a fight worth having on Judge Gorsuch and taking him um, as the nominee as he is and determining yeah. on him I, whether you, you want to vote for or against. You I, lost I, me. I totally agree. You lost me when you said. <laughs> Make a deal with Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. That that's a non-starter. Don't make a deal with Mitch McConnell. What are you doing? <laughs> you can't do that. No. We know how that ends. No, I mean, and particularly as you point, I mean, yeah, we saw that. We saw that, and and um, would, would would try. I believe to try to make that deal. So um, they're going to need. Um, let, let's assume there's no deal, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to need. Uh, eight Democratic votes based on um, the merits of Neil Gorsuch and what he mm-hmm. uh, and his testimony in front of the Judiciary Committee. And uh, will he get the votes? What's your read today? Yeah, I think I think after yesterday, um, I think some people who you know, for example, Senator Coons said that he was coming in with an open mind. Um, you know. Th- there are some periods in which he felt like it seemed like he felt like he got some answers, but there are other times when it, he definitely seemed frustrated that he wasn't getting answers. Um, someone like Senator Blumenthal, I thought at the end was basically saying, you know, you didn't answer our questions. Right. And so the question is, how do those perhaps more mm-hmm. moderate well, Democrats yeah. who are in? Um, yeah, you're ahead of me. I was thinking of the floor vote, but 
uh, because I just assumed he would get out of judiciary. Oh, yes, yeah. He'll get I, out I, of judiciary, yes, right? right. That was yeah. just a numbers game. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Re- Re- Republicans have enough votes. It could be a straight party vote. I doubt it, but it could be. Right. And so the question is those um, Democrats who are, you know, in, right. from red states, how they will feel about um, his performance at the hearing. And I, I think that still remains to be seen. I think we'll look at the witnesses today and a lot of people, myself included, um, are uh, come in with questions, remain skeptical, but are not going to make any final um, decision until after the hearings are complete. Right. Uh, and then the, the American people, you know, have a chance mm-hmm. to weigh in, too, with uh, letters and calls and phone calls. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I don't know how I, I, I think he has a good chance of getting confirmed, but I don't think it's for, uh, certain at all. Oh, I, I don't mean, either. Yeah. He's got the, the eight votes is going to be hard to add yeah. up. I mean, we could come up with the names of three or four probably right now. That, right. And we'd be right about them. But that's not. And I think, honestly, if, if he'd been more willing to be more forthright about yeah. these fundamental protections like that fundamental protection in Roe, I think he'd be a lot further down on that list to getting to eight. But the fact that he didn't, I think, is very troubling. What's going on down the street? One man right in the middle of it, our good friend, Congressman Mark Bocan from Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District, stopping by on his way to work. Hello, Mark. Nice to see you. Yeah, glad to be here. Congressman, I should say. We Mark always treat Stein. people with respect here. <laughs> Mark is uh, Yeah, so what do you think is going to happen tonight? Um, What's your read? You're, you're, you're a good know, vote counter. I don't know if anyone knows. You know, I don't think Paul Ryan knows. I don't think the president knows. I don't think the Freedom Caucus knows. I don't think uh, we can really make a safe assumption. It looks like they don't have the votes as of yesterday, as of last night, unless they do significant changes. And this big changes. meeting last night. Yeah. That, yeah and, and, still and it didn't sounds get. like the only way that they can get the votes of the Tea Party is if you take away all the things that Paul Ryan and Donald Trump promised would be in this bill, uh, which are things like, you know, the, the insurance mandates to have like prescription drugs and hospitalization, all the different things that uh, they seem to want to get rid of to lower rates. In other words, take away health care to lower rates. Go figure that rates go down if you're not paying for health care. Uh, but you've then essentially gutted the very promises that were made by Paul Ryan in his little PowerPoint presentation with his sleeves yeah. up. He was working yeah, very yeah, hard on. Very you know, hard I, I could on tell that. that was very, you know, a lot of thought went into that. And, uh, and, and everything Donald Trump said. So if they do that, they've proven that this is not at all all about health care. This is about checking a box. They repealed the Affordable Care Act, and it's about $600 billion in tax breaks going to the wealthiest uh, to insurance companies and big pharma. Right. So for uh, so there's not going to be one Democratic vote, right? No, no. Okay. So the fight is between two kind of wings of the Republican Party, right? Those who think it goes too far, those who think it doesn't go far enough, right? But And they seem to be playing to the Freedom Caucus, which believes it doesn't go far enough, right? But as they put, make it more and more, right, uh, gutting everything, yeah. don't they risk also losing votes on the other side? Well, I would even argue there's three wings. And in the Senate? I, I, there's, there's one wing that's going to vote for whatever piece of crap they put on the floor, right? Because yeah, they said right. they're going to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, uh, this yeah. morning, Blake Farenthold was on and basically said that. I'm voting for whatever I, I politically said I'm going to. I don't even know what's in it or care yeah. what's in it. Yeah. And that's the vast majority of the Republicans. Now is, you have, it, is it really? Oh, yeah, because yeah. they're going to oh. vote no matter what for this dog, no matter what it is. You have some moderates and some people in swing districts or in swing mm-hmm. states that are a little more cautious uh, that could be turned off by getting rid of 
some of the actual healthcare provisions within healthcare, and not not to mention gutting Medicaid. Yeah, and gutting Medicaid, as you're seeing, especially with Republican senators. And then you've got the Tea Party wing that think this is still way too generous. I was looking at some uh-huh. chatter on um, Twitter this morning, and you know that wing is still referring to this as a still socialistic plan because it offers healthcare in the healthcare. And so you know that's a block of forty, but not, they're not all in unison on this. But it's a, still a big block of votes. So right. I, I think that that's the place they can get the most votes to pick up to try to pass the the bill but in the end they'll be even bigger hypocrites because they'll have gutted the very things they promised just hours ago much less days ago that would be in the bill well and uh the way this kind of plays i mean mark meadows and the freedom caucus says they're um you know they they're they're not happy with it they're going to vote no and everything but they're really playing their muscle right down to the very wire. Aren't oh, absolutely, they? absolutely, yeah. 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 And, and and in the end, they may. I, I mean, what, what, if they actually get their way to get their votes, you will have taken away the, like I said, the healthcare elements of whatever little bit of healthcare and is in it this bill. And more difficult to get through the Senate. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it never. I don't think this will ever get through the Senate. And um, the fact that they're even making their members take this vote. You know, Paul Ryan, I used to think, um, you know, he's a smart guy, he's personable. I never thought he was much of a wonk because austerity is not particularly wonkish. It's just austerity. But the fact that he is um, kind of so desperate to get this thing done that, you know, I think he's really lost a lot of credibility through this process as well. Because if he winds up gutting the very things he said he's going to put in there just to say he won on something and passed something, well, then how are you going to do tax reform next? Because then everyone knows you just hold out and you get what you want. I mean, he's not really a leader at that point. He's just putting together things to say he got something done. Well, I think there's somebody else who falls into that category that I've been saying for quite some time uh, who doesn't know what's in the bill, doesn't care what's in the bill. All he wants is to be able to make a check Uh, I didn't realize, this is Mark Meadows talking yesterday about um, something down at the White House. Here here he is. He's got a board in the White House Mm -hmm. that talks about every single one of his campaign promises, and he's going down and checking those off. And it's incumbent upon us to work in a real uh, good faith manner to make sure that he gets this one checked off. So Donald Trump's (laughs) got an actual board. (laughs) Ka-ching. That's what he wants, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the CNN headline this morning says Donald Trump desperate for a deal and he's counting on health care. Right. So he needs to show I can make right. a deal. Right. That's for him. That's all that matters. And with Steve Bannon, I'm sure it's a whiteboard they're working off of. too. Oh, <laughs> I'm just assuming. I'm just going to say. But, you, uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know, but, but that's right. I mean, Touché. they don't care what's in the bill. They yeah. just want to yeah. pass something to say they did it. And the, the problem is. God. You know, if you look at the provisions that they're going to perhaps gut to get these votes, I mean, this is what makes healthcare healthcare. If you take away the elements of that, you can get prescription drugs, that you can get your lab tests, that you know, all the different things that could be under there. The other thing I know they're trying to change that uh, adult children stand family policies that they've been touting over and over. I mean, that that's a standard they'll have if they go as far as to to do, which I don't think they can get away with, is the pre-existing condition part. Although they may start doing parts of that. Uh, In the end, I think that's, you know, they're going to really lose out because we're going to be able to point to the fact that this is nothing more than a checking of the box. And again, the 27 percent of hardcore Trump people will still be high fiving each other. But I think everybody else won't be. You hit on something there when you talk about like Paul Ryan and his numbers. We can can just get rid of this whole idea that Paul Ryan is some great numbers guy, policy wonk. I mean, I know that we talk about that a lot, but like. 
He wow. doesn't understand how insurance works. No, no. And, you know, most of what he's for is just austerity, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like he yeah. came up with austerity, starving government. I mean, this is just a, a bad idea that's been proven bad over and over, and, and he still parrots it. So that's not a wonk. You know, and he and I share a county. We have neighboring districts. And, uh, you know, I'm actually going to be spending a lot of time about 90 yards outside of his district uh, during the April break. We're going to do a number of town halls since he's not doing them. We're doing a lot of things to try to uh, let people vent and, and talk about where they're at. And uh, But, you know, the credit he's gotten as a wonk, I think, has been highly overrated um, totally. because he's just, again, doing neoconservatism, the, the basic sort of stuff that's out there, and, and especially on this bill. I mean, if he bends as much as he's willing to bend just to get the votes, he's lost all credibility. Right. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, if there ever any doubt that we need an independent commission to get to the bottom of possible connections between the Trump Organization and Russian officials, there is no longer any doubt. Not after yesterday, not after the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee showed that he is nothing but a stooge of Donald Trump's. I mean, what we saw yesterday was unbelievable. Nunez, first of all, came out said somebody gave him reports of Trump staffers caught talking to foreign operatives during the transition period. Those conversations were swept up reportedly as part of routine surveillance, perfectly legal, which didn't necessarily prove anything other than the fact that the Trump people were talking to some other Russian officials or foreign officials that maybe they should not have been talking to. But suddenly then, without notifying the ranking Democrat, Adam Schiff, without telling the members of this committee, and without notifying the FBI, which is conducting an investigation into possible collusion, Nunez holds a press conference announcing these findings, and then he runs down to the White House to brief Donald Trump on them. Donald Trump, who's the subject, remember, of the FBI investigation. So whose side is Devin Nunez on? Well, clearly, he's not on the side of the FBI. He's not on the side of a, an honest bipartisan investigation or nonpartisan investigation. He's not on the side of the American people. Clearly, Devin Nunez is on one side only. His interest is protecting and defending Donald Trump, period. Two weeks ago, I um, ran into Adam Schiff, who's a friend of mine. I asked him whether or not we could trust Devin Nunez to hold and, and lead an independent investigation. And Congressman Schiff told me it all depends on Devin Nunez and how he performs. Well, now that we know the answer is no. The only way to get to the bottom of any collusion between the Trump staffers and Russian officials is through an independent commission because this House Intelligence Committee is a total farce. This is the Bill Press Show.